I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people asked me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course. My name is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. I'm a global connector, networking concierge, and coach. For two decades, I believed that my ADHD was a disability. Only at the age of 41 would I come to realize that my ADHD was an incredible asset, and when I leaned into that, I achieved greater success than ever before. ADHD is the engine behind my own success as a networker and coach. Over the past few years, I've spoken with thousands of entrepreneurs and found that many of them have some kind of neurodiverse diagnosis, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, and more. Like me, for many of them, their neurodiversity is indeed the very source of their success. On this show, we will change the narrative on neurodiversity. I've heard enough about the challenges and how hard it can be. I want to hear about how awesome we are. It's time to start talking about how our neurodiversity can be an asset for ourselves, our communities, and our businesses. It's time to start talking about neurodiversity superpowers. Hello and welcome back to the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, and... This is our second interview with someone in Europe in a row, which means nothing, but it's kind of cool fact. So I'm sharing it. Uh, our guest today is Peter Sandine. He is often called the marketer's marketer because more than half of his clients are other marketing experts. They come to him to get clarity to what actually motivates people to buy what they sell, what makes people choose them over all other options, and what impacts their results the most. Peter's approach is based on a decade of conversion optimization, looking at what improves your marketing results most consistently. So welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks for having me. Excellent. I'm definitely excited about this conversation. We're talking a bit, you know, as I often do before I hit record, we chat a bit and then I realize, oh, wait, we need to stop and hit record because the good stuff's coming. So uh, we're going to start with the traditional three questions. Sometimes you get through all three questions. Sometimes the conversation just runs off on its own rails. So let's see how that goes. But the first question is, Peter, how are you successful? Uh, well, I think two ways, uh, business and personal life. So in business, I've run a six-figure business on my own for years while working very, very little. For some years, I worked one or two hours a day doing consulting, like selling services and still mm. made six figures uh, with almost no expenses. Um, so I think in business, I'm I'm rather successful. That is quite successful. Uh, and most importantly, I think I, I do things I actually enjoy doing. There's very few things in my business I don't enjoy doing because I've gotten rid of all those. And I have clients I actually work want to work with and I do things I'm good at. So yeah, I, I that's my definition of success at least. That's uh, mine too. I like it. I yeah. live in the dream. Yeah. So uh, and describe how you are neurodiverse. Uh, I have Asperger's. Okay. So I'm on the autism spectrum. I I have some hints of ADHD, but then again, those sort of overlap. So I'm not sure if I would qualify as someone with ADHD, but I certainly feel like that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And of course, it, it's all, they're all spectrums anyway. One yeah. of my guests said a few weeks ago was saying that there's no bright line definition of who has ADHD and who doesn't. It's they ask you a bunch of questions. If you say yes to enough of them, you have ADHD. If you don't, you don't. 
Yeah, and so. a lot of the the issues that come with uh, Asperger's and ADHD overlap, so it's it's sometimes hard to tell which one is which uh, if you yeah. have both. But I I think definitely Asperger's. Not sure about the ADHD part. Okay. And how would you say that your Asperger's has led to and contributed to your success? Uh, well, the primary thing I do in business or as a marketing coach is help people see what they need to communicate with their marketing. So what is it that they need to say first so that people pretty much instantly understand what they have to offer, why they would want it, and what makes it unique. And as someone who doesn't intuitively understand how to say anything or how people understand things, but as someone who kind of unusually for a male Asperger's was always interested in it, I, I basically analyzed all my life. How do people react to different things? What makes them see things the way you want them to see? Or how do you need to describe something so that people don't misunderstand you? Because half the things you say as someone with autism will get misunderstood unless you specifically focus on saying it in a way that no one can misunderstand. So I've, I've, basically all my life been training for trying to explain things in a way that people understand. And yeah, I think that's that's really what, what helped the most. Overall, I think also just being the odd one out always made it so that I, first of all, just got into this business. Uh, I would not have unless I felt weird to begin with. Uh, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I love that concept. You're You're sort of blessed with a lack of the natural ability. So you had to learn it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, sometimes people ask me how I became such a good networker. And I say, it's because I'm not good at anything else. I was, I'm blessed with a lack of other monetizable skills. So networking is where I put the energy and thus I can become the best at that. But yeah, if, if someone's naturally good at talking to people, good at being understood, they don't know how they do it. Yep. And so, so you're able to leverage that, which is, which is pretty tremendous. Uh, so what are some of the things you find people do do wrong with their marketing uh that you're able to help them with uh well a lot of things obviously but let's like in the messaging part uh, i think there's a few that are pretty easy to understand and maybe most helpful the first is mm -hmm. that whenever you're thinking of messaging or what you need to say in marketing you're really thinking of the target customer but mm -hmm. when people think about their target customer they typically slip into talking about demographics and, and like describing how do these people look like to me? How would I pick them out of a crowd? Which is all necessary if you're doing, let's say, advertising, because you're picking demographics. Like, well, I, I know that my customers are typically women in the age range of 35 to 55, and they live in this area, and they make this much money, and they're interested in poodles. So like, yeah. That's all necessary when you're doing that sort of thing. But when you're thinking of what to actually say in your marketing, that's usually rather worthless. Like those things either don't make any difference or it's super obvious that it makes a difference. Like if you sell poodle grooming stuff, then it's it's pretty obvious that these people are interested in poodles <laughs> or they have some rather interesting hobbies. Yeah. So um, it, it's really like the demographics are not the key thing, but rather the opposite. So how do those people view what you're doing? And, and what affects their perception of it. So what are they worried about? What are they hoping for? What are they looking for? What are have they tried? How much experience they have? What do they wish for? What are the goals they're trying to achieve? How do they describe those? What do they worry about those goals? What, what they are afraid of will happen if they don't reach those goals? Or what are they afraid of happening if they do reach those goals? And so on and so on and so on. So that's the first thing. So instead of thinking of how do how does the target customer look like to me, you need to figure out how do 
me, how do I and what I offer look like to them? Hmm. Yeah, the second, yep. second issue is that people get very fixated, especially in B2B, but this happens a lot in B2C as well, on describing what is most valuable about their offer, which sounds good. Um, and there's a lot of copywriting advice that basically says, list out every single benefit people will get from you. Both are technically good advice, but they're easily misinterpreted, which mm -hmm. causes problems. So if you focus on just the things that are valuable, you might not talk about what motivates people to buy because what is valuable doesn't necessarily equate motivational. So for example, if you're selling, let's say a software for a company and the decision maker is thinking that, well, this would be great for the company, but it's going to take a huge amount of effort for me to do the whole training stuff. I'm not going to buy this one. I'll buy this other one that isn't as good for the company. It's more expensive, but it doesn't take my time. Someone else will handle the training and all that. Ah, uh, yeah. They're not going to tell that. But if you know that that's something that affects their perception, then you can point out or you can change your offer so that it doesn't take any time from them. And then you can also say that in the marketing, that this is the easiest implementation project you'll ever do because you don't need to do it. We'll do it for you. Now you get their attention. <laughs> it So... Instead of talking about just what is valuable, think of what motivates the person you're trying to convince. Mm, yeah, what, what, what's rather, in it for me? Yeah, exactly. But I think people are not honest enough about with that question. They might ask the question, but they're not really gruesome enough about just what the human nature is like. Yeah, but I think it's key also when you're targeting companies is companies don't make decisions. People in companies make decisions. Yeah, exactly. So what's the motivation? Like people talk about like bureaucrats and like, oh, the person at the... The, the registered motor vehicles, they, they want to keep me out. They don't want to keep you in line. They just want to not get yelled at and get through their day. So whatever yeah. will make that happen is what they're going to do because they get paid the same either way. So same thing with your your target target customer. If they can get paid the same, not get in trouble and and do less work, they're going to buy that one. It doesn't matter yeah. how great it is for the company because maybe no one will notice anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, and the third a common mistake with messaging is that people are, uh, it's not as obvious of a difference, but the differentiation part. So if you sell something that a lot of people sell, uh, it's natural to do a lot of competitor research, but you're often not competing just against your competitors. You're mm -hmm. competing against all sorts of things. So yep. if you sell software, you're almost certainly competing against a 15 year old Excel sheet that somehow manages to do what your software does. It's perhaps one misclick away from destroying a 15 years worth of data, but it technically works. So you're, that's what you're competing against. Or you're competing against a consultancy that can help with similar things. Or you're competing against them hiring someone to do what your software could just make more easy to do. Mm -hmm. So it's not just your competitors. It's other ways for people to solve similar problems or reach similar goals. So everything they compare you to. And then instead of thinking of, well, I know that all the other consultancies do this and this really poorly, and I do it differently. That doesn't make any difference unless that's what your target customers know. If they don't see it that way, then it doesn't matter. Or if they don't understand the significance of it, again, it doesn't matter. Or if they don't believe it, again, it doesn't matter. So you need to think of, well, how do your target customers from their perspective see the alternatives? And then think of, well, what could I make them see difference about me that they care, understand, and believe in? And yeah. 
That's yeah. a few yeah. issues with just the messaging part. We don't even get to the like big picture yeah. marketing stuff, but yeah. I think that might be enough. Well, and and that's a really powerful point uh, in the the competition stuff is is I think like like right now, if someone's trying to sell to me right now some kind of solution. I mean, I have most of the solutions I need for most of the challenges I'm dealing with. So they're not up against other people who solve the same problem. They're up against paying down my credit cards and um, yeah, basically paying down credit cards like that. that I'd either pay down credit cards or because, you know, my business in that growth phase where a lot of things went on the cards, uh, either that or their product. So I could just not have their product and the problem's not that bad. Um, and I think for a lot of people, they don't realize that their competition is not the other person of the same thing. Their competition is the cruise the owner wants to go on that, that the cruise money is what's going to buy that product. Yeah. And so that better be pretty amazing because his wife, his wife really wants to go to the Bahamas. Um, so convince me not to go on a cruise, not convince me not to work with your competitors who I was never even looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Convince me to piss off my wife yeah. <laughs> to work with you. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, or, or give me, you know, I'm going to need to explain to my wife why I bought this. And they're better than the other guys is going to make wife say, well, why'd you buy from any of them? So, yeah, that's yep. that's really crucial. Um, so so I, I love those points. Actually, I want to get back to, to what you're saying earlier. You said you sort of studied how social interaction worked and what made people communicate effectively. Um, so... So how did you do it? Did you do that by watching people? Did you do that through books? Did you do it through communing with the universe? How did you acquire this knowledge? Uh, by screwing up repeatedly. Oh, that's, that's a, I, yeah, I that. yeah, I was not a very popular kid uh, or like, let's say after the age in which you can just be around a kid yelling and, and running along and, and coming up with crazy ideas and not realizing what's forbidden and not like after that phase passed, I was not the most popular kid. Mm -hmm. So um I'm like just like not obviously enough neurodiverse that no one notices it. And I'm good enough at masking it that no one notices it, mm -hmm. but I'm kind of odd. So very small kids don't mind other like kids who are kind of weird, but right. when they're a little older, then they get very good at pinpointing like who's the weird one, who's the odd one out. Even mm -hmm. if, especially if they're not like really obviously, there's no nothing obviously wrong with me. No one knew that I'm autistic. No one had that explanation of like, oh, he's a little weird because of that. He's just a little weird. Mm -hmm. So basically, I I learned everything from like, well, how long am I supposed to look at someone's eyes while talking before they get creeped out? But also how long I need to look them in the eye if, unless so that they don't feel like I'm neglecting to look them in the eyes enough. So now I do it with almost no thought, but it's something that I, I screwed up countless times mm -hmm. noticed that okay i needed to look away earlier i remember thinking of that quite a few times uh similar like how challenging am i supposed to be like is it okay for me to directly point out that like what you said is not right because that's that would be natural for me like i heard this study or i read this study that showcased that that's actually not true anymore people don't like that <laughs> so like just screwing up repeatedly uh really helped um, okay. But yeah, I, I mean, honestly, that's it. it. It's not that I studied it in some formal way. It was just, I just did it many enough times wrong. And I had enough of a drive to want to belong into group that it, I, I kept doing it every day until eventually it started to be fairly normal. But, but yeah, that, that's okay. how I learned. So, so you basically, you, you kept throwing yourself at the wall until the wall finally broke. 
Yeah, but yeah. You, and it, when I got into marketing, I started from copywriting. <laughs> it's probably the weirdest thing to start, especially since English is my technically third language, and mm-hmm. I started writing in English. But what I did was I found a bunch of the like most effective sales letters of the past and just hand wrote, like hand copied them over and over until it became second nature to write in a similar way. Um, I didn't do it like hundreds of times, but I did certainly copy countless thousands of words that way to just sort of infuse the way to write. And, and just, I think that's the way to notice when something you would do is different than what the best at at copywriting would do noticing like wait this is a weird word here why would they use this word here like it forces you to really think of it when you're actually hand copying it i I think that's the other way that i like actively studied it but other than that i I don't think i've done anything fascinating yeah and and i because i think a lot of people who who have asperger's or other uh or otherwise have social challenges their response is to retreat so they try it a mm-hmm. bit. They say nobody likes me, and they go hide in their room and they play video games, or yeah, you know, they stop yeah. doing it. And your response was to keep doing it, yeah, you know, keep touching the stove until you figure out when it is and is not hot. Pretty much, yeah. It's it's a lot more common for girls who have Aspergers or who are autistic to be in that sort of group that they they still are socially interested in other people. Uh, that's partly why so many girls don't get uh, diagnosed. Because such a classic diagnosis of Asperger's or any autism is that well, you're not very socially interested in other people. You like that you are withdrawn from it and you're not excited about it and such. Mm-hmm. But those who are, especially like like in the like 20, 30 years ago, they absolutely went undiagnosed unless they had like severe other issues. Yeah. Uh, but still many, many get undiagnosed just because it's it's seen as well, if you are interested in other people, if you are engaging like a normal person in quotes, I'm not sure if someone's just listening. So like air quotes normal. Yeah. Um, then then like you're you you no one will notice that you're you would have that sort of a problem. You're just weird. Like that's how you are seen as like okay, you're just not good at it or you're other people are wrong. Like that's how I started to learn it that like other people are not just they, they don't get you. And then like instead of just internalizing that okay, I need to learn something better, mm-hmm. it, it easily became like, oh the others don't understand me. Yeah. Which is like this angry way of going about it, which I'm glad to say I didn't do too much, but I still did more than I wish I would have. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the one of the things I shared in my morning motivation podcast a few weeks ago was the idea of everything is your fault and that's awesome. Um if if you can embrace that everything that happens is is your fault, um, which means you have power over it, then yeah, you know, if you start from that assumption, then okay, well, the fact that it rained today, that's that's probably not actually my fault. But if you start from that assumption and then say, it's my fault, so what could I have done differently? Um, then that will lead to rapid improvement. Whereas the, oh, they don't get me. Oh, that's not my yeah. fault. Oh, the economy turned down. Uh, I did everything I could. Well, then you don't learn and you'll make the same mistakes again or never try again. Either way, you fail because you never tried. Um, and, and, and another thing that I, I know, because I think a lot of people, they, they probably hide out of fear. You know, they have a bad social interaction and something goes bad. And they're like, oh, oh I'm, I'm lucky to have escaped that. But um, but of course, obviously, you survived all the, the unpleasant interactions. No one like threw you into the sea or fed you to the sharks or whatever. Um, <laughs> so so I imagine some of it was just having the, the courage to jump back in there and and get knocked down again. 
and not and not giving into that fear of like what happens if I screw up really badly. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I was scared of that many times, but I have to comment on the like if it rains, uh, it is your fault because you could have checked the the weather mm-hmm. the previous day and go, gone somewhere where you definitely know it's not going to rain. Yeah. And also, you could have planned your day so that you're going to stay indoors the entire day. So it doesn't matter if it's raining. So even if it's raining, that's your fault. Yeah. Well, that's just, so, so the fact that it rained is not your fault. The fact that yeah. you were caught out in the rain, which yeah. is the same scenario, but looked at slightly differently. Exactly. Because um, you know, if it rains, I'm inside. I Half time it rains. I'm like, oh, is it? has it been raining? for? It's wet outside. Oh, I don't even yeah. notice it rains. If I'd been going for a walk, I would have noticed it was raining. And yeah, so... So that, that's a great a great nuance on that. Yeah, uh, but anyway, like, yeah, I think I think it's sort of wrong to say that like you need to have the willingness to get knocked down over and over and over. I, I think it just doesn't somehow sound right to me. Okay. <laughs> but I, I think technically that is true. Like mm-hmm. you do need to just have that to learn anything that is difficult for you, yeah. whether it is something as meaningful as human interaction <laughs> or something as... Um, let's say in the ultimate sense, like meaningless as like, do you learn a guitar playing technique? Like Mm -hmm. I played guitar obsessively as a kid and like, yes, I I would learn things, but it was because I wouldn't give up when it was difficult. I would just keep on playing like a maniac for countless hours and it works. So like, yeah, you need to have the willingness to go through things that are in that way painful if you want to get the outcome. Uh, mm-hmm. it's it's very unusual, not impossible, obviously. Like apparently for you, well, at least the way you tell the story, once you figure it out that, hey, what can I do because I have ADHD, it, it sounds like fairly smooth sailing from there. At least you made very rapid progress, but I imagine there were it wasn't like everything just fell into place the first time you tried. You still have to be willing to just be like, okay, well, this didn't work. I'll try something slightly different. Not the same thing, something yeah. slightly different well and that's you know some people they, they say like you know what changed and and one of my half serious half joking answers is well i ran out of things to do wrong so i had to do it right um because pre-pandemic i i worked for all these different companies doing different i sold printing i sold cars i sold this and that i couldn't get a regular job because the adhd i couldn't pay attention to the, the hiring yeah. process they're like you know write this and fill this out and we got 27 page online application I'm like i don't know i I can't pay three pages in and wander off. So I couldn't get the regular job. And then finally the pandemic hit and forced me to go online and forced me to network on a larger, you know, I knew how to network, but I was doing the wrong place, forced me to go online. um, And that got me, got me started there. And then it was then another 18 months where I figured out my business was. Yeah. But, but the key thing was getting to your, you know, get, get knocked down, get up again. I made a commitment. So I, I almost became a coach. I sold, 10 clients in 10 weeks. It was awesome. And then eight of them dropped after a month because I couldn't actually serve them. I could sell them. I just couldn't serve yeah. them. Um, and arguably I could have become like a sales coach of some kind. Cause I clearly knew how to sell them, but I think I was so burned by that experience. I didn't want to, you know, stay in that space, but I, but I said, I'm just going to stick with it, whatever it takes. So I ended up driving Uber for a year to just keep trying. I kept trying things that didn't work. Try something didn't work. Try something didn't work. And then finally clicked into networking concierge idea, tried that and to the moon yep. um, because I found something that people who have money wanted to pay me for. So that's, that was the key. And then I you know, and then I've taken some, what I've learned, I've put that into resources to share with people um, because would have been cool for me to have that 18 months earlier. So maybe I'll share with someone else, but it's, 
a, a lot of it was simply making the commitment to I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to get comfortable with the process. And if it yeah. takes five years, it takes five years. And I think that's the most important thing. We get impatient. We're like, oh, it's not working. Well, you've been doing it for three weeks. So, you know, maybe you need to keep going. And, you know, having that page, because it's, failure is going to suck either way. If you, you know, in your case, if you were lonely in your room having no friends because social interaction didn't work well, that's going to be unpleasant. And going out and meeting with people and getting, screwing it up and getting yelled at, that's going to be unpleasant. But one of those, eventually you're going to get it yeah. and it's going to get better. And the other one, it's not going to get better. So if it's got to be bad both ways, you might as well take the way that at the end gets better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it sounds like it was terrible, terrible. Uh, there were times when I was very, very depressed, yes, but it it wasn't like, I wasn't that bad at it. That like, again, I wasn't obviously enough autistic for anyone to like use it as an excuse that, oh, we understand why he's a little weird. Yep. I was just weird enough that it was awkward for everyone. Okay, um, yeah. But but yeah, like what you say, um, I think overall people having a specific goal is um, it's sometimes very good. I'm not saying goals are bad, but I think the fixation on goals that we typically have can be very detrimental. I yeah. think it's better to focus on building, having a goal where the path to that goal is one you want to stay on. Mm -hmm. Even though you know it, it's almost certainly not going to be all downhill, like, well, uphill. I don't know. It sounds weird. It, it can't be like downhill one. sounds yeah, terrible. Yes. Uphill <laughs> sounds really difficult. Like what metaphor am I supposed to use here? No, it, it's not all going to be super easy. Uh, but if you are dedicated to sticking on the path, then generally you're going to get closer to that goal. Absolutely. might be frustratingly slow. You might need help. You might need to readjust how you go about it and all that. But I think when people are so fixated on the goal, they might easily pick goals that they're, the, the path there is going to be unreasonably painful. I think also, as a side note to this, I usually don't pick goals or like if I talk with a client, I, I often don't just ask what sort of a business do you want to be running? I often ask what problems are you good at dealing with or like what problems, what things other people call problems you don't even see as problems. Mm -hmm. Let's build around that. Because if someone says that, well, I'm really good at uh, like minutia and like just dealing with like little details and such, then okay, you're going to be doing a lot of admin stuff. If someone says that they are very good at dealing with people issues, okay, so let's have you doing those things and, and leave the numbers for someone else. Yep. You know, like it's pick your problems because yeah. you're going to have problems. You're going to have challenges, whatever you want to call them, but you can to some degree pick the ones that don't feel too painful for you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And that's because... Like I, my, my schedule today is a networking event, then an interview, then I think a one-on-one, -on -one, then a networking event, then an interview, then a meeting. Um, and I'm like, oh, this is like a nice day. This is gonna be, a, this is gonna be a great day. Other people would think about that day and be like, oh, so that's like I have one of those every week, right? I don't have to do that every day. Like that's, I try to make every day look kind of like that because that's my ideal. Like my my ideal day would be eight, ten one-to-ones in interviews, just back to back to back to back to back. With either yeah, technology I'm, I'm exhausted after something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So so for me, that would be awesome. But building a marketing plan and actually sitting down and building a strategy. And even, you know, I, I'm, I, as I say, I, I came up with this, like the strategy that I followed over that year. So I wrote it down to a PDF. Well, I should make a landing page for that and some kind of email sequence. It's going to be, I don't know, three emails long. I'm halfway through it. I'll probably get back to it in a month because 
I need to write a <laughs> sequel and then I need to put it in the system and actually like put it. It's like nine minutes of work, but it's just yeah. such like, ah, so for me, that kind of like, go meet lots of people. That's, that's a fun, easy thing for me. Um, versus the administrative stuff is the, the hard stuff. And, and, and that, that was the key is once I realized I could, I could take care of that, like meeting 20 people and then finding the two that my client wants to meet. Super easy. Meeting 20 people, super easy for me. I'll do that all yeah. the time if I can. And, but for them, they're like, I want to meet exactly as many people as I need to meet and no more. I don't want yeah. one conversation where I say, why did I talk to this person? And be like, oh, I'll do five or 10 of those or I'll do some, I'll do a group networking event, bring five or six people together all at once, which, yeah, no big deal. But someone who's less extrovertedly inclined, that might be somewhat challenging for them. <laughs> uh, it, it's, I was talking um, about someone about being an MC. You know, I, I love speaking, getting on stage. And they're saying there's there's a need for more MCs because a lot of the MCs retired uh, when the pandemic hit, and and they're just and they're telling me all the challenges. Like, well, you got to be able to think on your feet. You might have to fill time. You know, speakers late. You might have to just talk extemporaneously for twenty minutes. You got to keep the audience engaged, keep the energy. And they're going through all these reasons why they say it's a difficult job. And I'm like, awesome. So what's the hard part? <laughs> yeah maybe you should do more emceeing i'm like yeah because you didn't say anything bad you just listed a whole bunch of positives of why i would love it and yeah. they're like no that was a list of why it's hard i'm like i i must have heard a different list from you but yeah that's all the stuff that you've gotten berated for for all your life we're doing in the wrong place <laughs> yeah yeah yep yeah and that's and so that, that's a key thing is figure out and i love that concept yeah what are the problems you like solving that you don't think are problems yeah. Um. And once you figure that out, there's someone out there. And then this. So it's that created these five steps. So one of them is, what are you good at, and who will pay you for it? Now go find them and make you pay for it. Uh, make them pay you for it. You know, someone out there is willing to give you a big pile of money to do the thing that you think is super fun. Yeah. Because they hate it. Um. So so how would you recommend somebody figure out how to do that and find the person willing to pay them? Uh, well, uh, I've never thought of it from that exact perspective. I, I look at it from like through my marketing process and, and I start by looking at, well, what are you good at? Uh, mm -hmm. But honestly, I don't help people who don't even have a business idea yet. Okay. I help people who have the at least an idea. Usually they have an established business. So if you don't even, like, I'm happy to give what I know about the previous steps, but that's really honestly not my expertise. Okay. I would look at what is it that people find you weird for? Mm -hmm. Or what is it that you don't like telling people? Oh, I like you don't that, have to yeah. still tell, but just list out all of that. You probably have like half good ideas there. Half of it is, yeah, things you might not want to talk about even future, but half those things are things you could build around. And things that other people seem to hate or find very difficult that you've never struggled with, that's mm. a tricky one to notice because you've never struggled with those things. So yep. I think it's easier to like, what do people find weird about you? Or what do you think is weird about others? So that's helpful. Or you yep. can see that like, what jobs do you think are the easiest in the world? Something that just looks like, why is anyone getting paid for that? That looks so easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love Let that. alone, why is someone paid a lot for that? Because <laughs> yeah. that's often the case. Like MCs, I'm like, I'm sure some of them get paid pretty well. Oh, yeah. And for me, I, I would totally understand. If I would have to do that for a day, I would need a month, month's vacation after that. Yes. <laughs> um, and I would not do a good job. <laughs> yep. So even if I really tried, I probably wouldn't do a very good job. Yep. Not a terrible job, but not a very good one. 
so that's that's not it. But there are things where I would look at it like, how is it that people have such trouble, like just creating a good headline for an ad? Like, how is it that they just put this like completely meaningless thing or this like this cliche that all their competitors are saying? Like, how do don't they see that? Oh, right, it's not so easy for them. So, yeah. basically, what do you like to rant about? Is also, I think, a useful question. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. And so there's three things. That one is the the what do people think is weird or you mm -hmm. think is weird about yourself, which is have a great way to think about it because that's what will set you aside. Mm -hmm. um, and and then what are you surprised people get paid for? And and I love the what do you rant about because that tends yeah. to be the like how do people not get this? How do people not know? Um, and you know, and some of those things there's money and some there's not like. How do people not know that four seconds of following distance on the highway reduces traffic jams? Ah, of course, I was a driving instructor for three years. So that's how I know this stuff. There's no money in that for me. That is not a path to pursue, but I do rant about it. Um, <laughs> but but no, I, I love that concept. There's so many, because I've definitely run into that networking where I'll see people either running networking events or at networking events, doing it totally wrong, thinking they're doing it right. And I just want to like grab someone by the collar and be like, this is not how you network. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So sounds yeah. like you should do networking. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, How about that. Uh, but yeah, so that's so that yeah, the things you you rant about are probably things that you find easy that other people find difficult and that you intuitively gravitate towards. Yeah. So because if if you don't rant, like if if others find it easy as well, then you probably don't have anything to rant about because yep. everyone does it well. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. At least that's my exp experience of what I end up ranting about is usually things that I think others are not doing right. <laughs> yeah. And there's varying levels of credibility to this claim, and I'm aware of it. <laughs> so yeah. I might be ranting about something that I know I'm not an expert in. And then it's more like, I wonder, like, how is it that the way it's done makes sense? I don't get how that's the best we can do. I don't know how to do it better. I recognize I'm not the expert, but like, mm -hmm. I still like to rant about some things. So yeah. I think being aware of like, if you don't have any expertise on a topic, then you probably, your rants are probably just ramblings of a crazy person. But <laughs> if you can have some expertise on the topic, then if you're still ranting, then you might have something to build on. Yep. Well, and I think also you can, you can sort of test your, your rants. One thing social media is good for if used the right way is, is first I kind of think about it and based on what I know, does it make sense that it should be this other way? Because yeah. um, sometimes it's something so complex, like macroeconomics, and people are like, well, you know, this thing is so simple, like, it's not even beginning to be, my degree is in economics. I'm like, that doesn't yeah. even begin to be simple. Your your conclusions are backwards from reality completely because you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and But if, if you post your opinion in a public forum like social media, and then actually read the comments, I mean, ignore the dogmatic ones, but read the people who are really engaging you and let them you know, let steel strengthen steel, uh, let yeah. them test you, then you'll discover sometimes you'll be like, oh, okay, now I'm full of crap. I don't know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. now I get why that did make sense and I just didn't know. And other times you'll talk to you'll people will challenge and you'll do a little research to support your opinion. And be like, no, I know things other people don't know. Oh, oh look at I'm actually smart. I know this stuff. Because it does happen that you'll look at the people getting paid big bucks and realize you actually know more than they do. Yeah. Yeah. I think like when it comes to academic topics, that doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> but when it's like practical skills, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, 
that can happen. And it might be that you're still missing some key aspect of like why something is done in a certain way, mm -hmm. but your way might still have some significant benefits to it. And that can be something you can build around. Not necessarily, but it can be. And I think if you're developing ideas, then it's a worthwhile experience, like experiment to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, especially in dynamic, like marketing, for example, mm -hmm. uh, you know, direct marketing, especially email, social media, whatever, changed dramatically with the pandemic when a gazillion D billion companies opened and yep. all started marketing in the space. And I think we're still seeing the tidal wave ripples. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, solo emails to promote affiliate campaigns worked really well. And yep. now they're working worse and worse and worse. Um, and I think a lot of the big players aren't seeing it yet because they're still, you know, their million dollar launch is now a $700,000 launch, but they're still doing pretty well. And they're like, oh, maybe it's the economy. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Yep. And so they're not they're not seeing what's happening. But when I'm working with a whole lot of people who are getting into the space and their 2,000 person email list becomes a 1,600 person email list because they supported the launch, I'm like, <laughs> I don't think this is a sustainable model of the... No, nope. you know, I, I think other forms of getting messages are going to be needed, but I'm not hearing that from the the people who know stuff yet, because I think they're too they're too successful. They're operating yep. at a level where they might have an 11 percent open rate because they have a hundred thousand person email list. So there's some evolution yep. occurring that somebody out there might be seeing some patterns and be like, wait, this doesn't. But everyone who's a millionaire says this is wrong, but I think it's right. And it could be because they became a millionaire 10 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, quant quantity is a quality all its own. So if you have enough money, you just. Yeah, you can solve a lot of problems by throwing enough money at it. Yeah. But but yeah, like I think that the email example is brilliant because if you have an 11% open rates, you're really shooting yourself in the foot by emailing those people who are not opening because mm -hmm. it's teaching Gmail and all the other internet service providers to think that people don't want your emails because they're yep. not reacting to them. So it's more and more unlikely that your future emails will go into people's inboxes. Yeah. Even if someone just subscribed, it's more and more likely that it gets spam, uh, flagged as spam or at least put into the promotions folder yep. or something like that. So, and, and that's something that if you talk to people who are really into email deliverability, the geekiest topic in the world, I think, <laughs> but if you do, then they're going to point that out. Yeah. And it's like they are teaching the big gurus about that, but the big gurus are are reluctant to throw 90,000 90, people out of their list because yes. it might improve deliverability. So, yeah. 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 That's which, and especially because when the language is in terms of lists, you know, how big is your list? Oh, my, this is 100,000. Yeah. Oh, I want to partner with you. You got a 100,000 person list. So, yeah. if you dump that down to 40,000, your deliverability tripled. So, you're reaching three times as, or twice as many people, if I did that math right, um, you know, you're getting more opens in absolute terms, but your list size is smaller. So people are less excited to work with you. Um, yeah, it makes, it, it, I think you see that everywhere. You get this institutional, because we, we think of this, you know, the email marketing world is like new and exciting, but really it's old now. Like it's, it's a 25 year old industry. We've got yeah. people, you know, we got people who had dark hair when they started and they have gray hair now. Um, so like, it's not as, it's not as new as we think, but, but I think the, the key thing is for someone who's, who's out there seeing, seeing things, you know, test that, test your ideas. Like just because everyone else is saying it and you're saying something else doesn't mean you're right. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you're different. 
So if you're wrong, that's bad. If you're right, that's an opportunity. And now you get to be the iconoclast who goes against all the big names and either, you know, gets consigned to the dustbin of history or becomes, you know, the next big thing. Yep. Exactly. So and and that kind of comes back to the whole whole purpose of this this show is to embrace your difference, embrace what makes you unique, and lean into it and don't give up on it. And don't just try to be like, I'm a round, round peg, but square holes is all we got. So let me just square myself up and just get right on in there. Um, because you're never going to succeed that way. And if you realize somewhere in your uniqueness is your success, then, and it might take you 20 years to find it like I did. Um, but, you know, just knowing it's there, that's, you know, 2021, I was driving Uber all year. And, and I, I sat down and said, if this ends up being where I am for five years, I mean, Uber is a combination of driving and meeting new people. So two things I like doing. So it wasn't really hard work, but I said, this is where I am for the next five or 10 years. I'm cool with that. As long as this takes, let's just enjoy the ride and and get there. But they need to, uh, you, you need to get to a place where you say, I'm looking for the thing in the distance. We're going to get there eventually, not give up and take as long as it takes. And sometimes it doesn't take as long as you think. Yep. If it's the right thing, then usually it's more effortless than you would expect. Yep. Or at least that's, that's often the case. I, I think often when people say that it's a struggle to start a business, I think very often, not always, obviously, but very often they are not in the business that suits them the best, or yeah. at least they're not in the role that suits them the best. And I think that's a hard truth for a lot of people because they might be the a brilliant therapist, for example, but they have no mind for marketing at all. Mm-hmm. It's a really hard to be a solopreneur if you don't have any mind for marketing. You can yeah. outsource it, but if, again, you don't have any mind for it, then you can't vet the the people you're outsourcing it to. And that very often leads to very expensive uh, mistakes. So it's a, it's tricky to do some things, but if it's a huge struggle, then I think something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Or I think struggle is a sign of something isn't working. It's either micro thing. So you just need to tweak a little how you're doing it. And it's part of the road that there are these little struggles. But mm-hmm. if it's just a continual massive struggle, then like, make a bigger change. The bigger yeah. the struggle, the bigger the change is usually. I like that. Better. Yeah. Well, and, and also there's there's uh, plenty of ways to do things. Um, so like I apparently don't have a mind for marketing because I don't tend to sell much through marketing, but I built my business through networking. I'm a networker. So when I tried to do the marketing path, it wasn't working. I couldn't build the products. I couldn't convert them. I couldn't build the landing pages. So I focused on networking and just started getting introductions to people who would want to work with me. I have a higher ticket program, so I don't need a thousand clients and that works. So, you know, if you're a therapist who can't market, maybe there's another path that isn't Facebook ads or landing pages or whatever that could be, could be the right path. Um, So this has been awesome talking to you. I've really enjoyed it, Uh, but we are coming to the end of the time because my calendar is telling me I have another appointment. Uh, So, but, but uh, just final thoughts. I love your thought for someone who's out there um, who's neurodiverse in some way or diagnosed or not. They're a little weird. And they're not quite sure what to do. They think maybe that, that you know, I, they're like, oh, it's cool that he found his path and Michael found his path, but I don't have a path. What the heck do I do? What would your advice be for someone who's still at that early stage saying, eh, I'm kind of weird and disabled. I don't know what to do. Um, I don't think I have some advice that I think is somehow very solid. I don't think I have uh, some brilliant idea. I can tell how I found what I ended up wanting to do, Sound which like is that I I ran as hard as I could towards whatever seemed like the most interesting thing. 
And then I usually hit a tree fairly quickly. Mm. And then I was like, okay, so this wasn't the right right direction. I'll go this way next. <laughs> and whatever was the most interesting thing uh, until I hit a tree. And eventually I found a trajectory that I haven't yet hit a tree on. Hmm. And um, I will point out that um, as far as I can tell, you appear to be alive. Yep. <laughs> which means that none of this tree hitting killed you. Nope. Uh, and didn't, you know, maim you so severely you could not continue in business. Um, yep. so no, it was frustrating I, to, yeah. to put in, like I, I got two different educations, like two different degrees, nothing to do with marketing, uh, both on just topics I found interesting. I studied for a year to get a third degree. Uh, I'd never even applied for the like <laughs> school because I was like, oh, never mind. Uh, I just studied 10 months of math to get through the tests to get in. So yes, frustrating, but not painful in the sense that going into that direction for longer would have been, because then I would have been in the wrong direction for however long. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's worked for me. I don't know if it's the best idea, but like just whatever is the most interesting thing, just run really hard towards that so that you hit the tree as quickly as you can, or you just find out that, oh, I can keep running. <laughs> this is still really cool after 15 years or however long it takes for you to or, I mean, I've been now doing this for 12 or something. Oh. So well, I'm going to say that sounds like really good advice. So go all into something, smash into a wall, tree, go all into something else, keep going until you find the right thing, because then you're all in on the winner. And it seems it worked well for you. It worked pretty well for me, too. So, yep. uh, and honestly, I, I look back and say I didn't run hard enough. I still hit trees. I just didn't run hard enough at them. I kind of like, eh, maybe I'll get a job selling printing and that'll be okay. Um, it was trying to not, trying to avoid hitting trees, I think is really what made my success take longer because yeah. I tried to settle up and do the safe thing. Yeah. And I think for me, the, the tree was often that I noticed that, oh, if I keep doing this job for 10 years, I, I'm going to be burned out or I, th this will have costs that I'm not willing to pay, or this will like, th this isn't going to be good. Like, even yep. though right now it's still really cool, but I, I can see that like the, the, the direction I'm heading, like there's a tree. So like, okay, I'll, I'll shift now rather than hitting tree the tree. Yeah so. yeah. so you don't have to hit it if you can see it in a, a head, but I think a lot of people in that situation and I, to each their own, but I think a lot of people would just be like, okay, I can see the tree, I'll try to avoid it. Yeah. And if you know the tree is something you, honestly you can't avoid, then like, why try? Uh, or if the tree is more like a swamp and you know you're going to be like wading through it for years and years, uh, also not the best idea to I, to go that way. Okay. I think that's a that's a good concept for for our listeners to meditate on uh, and think about because I think there's some really solid solid advice in there. So if if people want to connect with you on the the marketing side and want to work with the marketer's marketer or learn more about you, where can they do that? Uh, my website, petersandine.com. Sandine is with two E's. I guess there's a link to it somewhere. Yes. <laughs> or it's, it's just my name.com. Yeah, I think uh, you can find it. If you can figure out my name, if you can't figure out my name, I don't think we're going to work together. Yeah, it is spelled so. just like it sounds. With yeah. So S-A-N-D-E-E-N, Peter Sandine. Um, yes, yeah, so, so that's the standard. You have to figure out your name first. If they can't get across that line, then then they failed the yeah. first test and they can't get in. Yeah, that, that's the application. If you yeah. can figure out my name. <laughs> so so I was going to have some gates around. around yeah, yeah. Around what you do. Awesome. Well, yeah, so, so I'll be down there in the show notes, um, petersandine.com. Uh, and I believe you have a, that seven-minute video there at that video. 
Uh, yeah, the, the first thing you can get is basically a video of some common marketing messaging mistakes that even experts do. Uh, pretty useful thing, I would argue. Obviously, I might be a little bit biased on yeah, that. But... I'm going to agree there. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great to have you on here and great talking about this stuff. I always learn a lot talking to people. That's why I do the show. It's just for me. I learn stuff yeah. and then I share it with the public. Maybe they learn something too. So thank you so much for being on. This was really fun. Thank you. This has been the Neurodiversity Superpowers Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Sign up to get every episode at neurodiversitysuperpowers.me. Join our Facebook group on facebook.com slash groups slash neurodiversity superpowers. Thank you so much for joining us, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people ask me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course.